Hello and welcome to the ACT 2025 podcast, a new World Resources Institute series looking at the forthcoming COP26 climate conference from the point of view of the most climate vulnerable countries. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode the issue is the loss and damage being caused by the impact of climate change. The poor people who died weren't the ones who caused the problem. Rich people in the rich countries are the ones and they owe it. These losses and damages are already being felt in vulnerable countries, and we hear a strong message to richer countries that the people affected need action right now. Stop being financially greedy. Stop being in a panic mode whenever you hear someone talking about saving our planet. Hello. The forthcoming COP26 climate negotiations that will take place in Glasgow are seen as a critical moment if the world is going to avoid catastrophic climate change. But are low-income countries on the front line being listened to? Many of them have joined a grouping called Act 2025 to make sure their voices are heard, and this series is about the issues that are important to them. Many, of course, are already having to cope with loss and damage caused by climate change. My colleague Molly Bergen spoke to Salimul Hook to find out what was happening in Bangladesh. He's the director of the International Centre for Climate Change and Development, one of the Act 2025 partner organisations. One of the issues about adaptation is that you cannot adapt to everything. And one of the reasons why we fought for and we achieved an agreement in the Paris Agreement was to keep temperatures below 1.5 degrees. Two degrees would protect rich people, but not the poor people. 1.5 degrees has the potential to protect everybody. But if it keeps going up, we then have to face what we call loss and damage from climate change, which is now a reality. What sorts of uh, losses and damages are you experiencing in Bangladesh, in your home country? Well, Bangladesh has been experiencing loss and damage from floods and cyclones and even droughts over many, many decades, even before there was climate change. They've become worse because of climate change. But at the same time, we have also been learning to adapt to the impacts of climate change. And one indicator, if you like, of successful adaptation is floods and cyclones don't kill people anymore in our country. They used to kill thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people. So it's not a function of being rich or poor. It's a function of being prepared or unprepared. In my view, the most important factor is empowering, enabling every single citizen to know what to do. There's still a lot of damage. The floods cause damage, the cyclones cause damage, but loss of life has been minimized. We had a super cyclone in May of 2020 called Amphan. In decades past, when we had super cyclones like that, they had killed hundreds of thousands of people. In this case, in Amphan, that threat was a few dozen, and they were mostly fishermen who were out at sea and didn't get back to land in time. Three million people who are on land got the messages, went to evacuation centers, and they survived. It's also better technology, tracking the systems, mass media, television, radio, even volunteers going around the houses uh, telling people when they had to evacuate. So in May of 2021, some of my researchers from my center, along with some journalists, went to visit the location where Cyclone Amphan hit a year before, and they found tens of thousands of people who survived, but they couldn't go home because their homes were destroyed or their land had been salinized by the seawater and many of them have ended up in the slums of Dhaka City. So while we've been very successful at saving lives, we haven't been able to save their livelihoods, and that's really what we now need to focus on. 
What concerns do vulnerable countries have overall regarding addressing losses and damages? How do they want developed countries to help with this? Well, they want developed countries to do what they promised to do. So there are no new promises that need to be made. They promised in Paris six years ago now, just deliver on the promise, which they haven't done. There are three things. The first one is keep temperature below 1.5 degrees by reducing your emissions. Everybody's promised to do that. They've produced plans to do that. They're just not good enough. The plans that have been produced are not going to keep us below 1.5. So they have to do better. The number two thing is to deliver the money that they promised to the developing countries, particularly the vulnerable countries, to help them adapt to the impacts of climate change. They promised $100 billion a year, every year, from 2020 onwards. 2020 has come and gone, and they didn't deliver. So the second demand is keep your promises. Do what you said you were going to do. And then the third demand now is a new one which is to say that we have now entered, as of 2021, what I call the era of loss and damage from climate change. What we are seeing now, the floods in Germany, the heat dome in America, the fires right now in Greece and in Turkey, these are all now attributable to human-induced climate change, not causing them, but making them much, much worse than they otherwise would be. And that's something we now have to live with. It's going to be like that everywhere. And so we're all going to have to deal with loss and damage from climate change, both the developed countries as well as the developing countries. And we need to discuss and address it in COP26 if we want COP26 to be a success. I wonder if you could give some other examples of what loss and damage could look like. You know, my understanding is that it's a huge range of things. So it'd be great to get a few more examples. There's a town in California that just got destroyed by the wildfires. And there's a town called Lytton in Canada that got destroyed a few weeks ago by the heat dome and wildfire. So these people from those two towns, they've lost their livelihoods. They've lost their homes. They've lost their livelihoods. Quite a lot of people even died in California and in Oregon and in Western Canada in the heat wave. In Germany, more than 150 people died. And there was a huge amount of devastation of homes and infrastructure. In fact, the chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, has already allocated half a billion euros for loss and damage to her own citizens, you know, which is the right thing to do. They certainly deserve to be compensated by their chancellor. But then, you know, poor people in poor countries like Bangladesh also deserve to be, if not compensated, at least given some financial support by the polluters who caused the problem in the first place. Because we didn't. The poor people who died from Amphan weren't the ones who caused the problem. Rich people in the rich countries are the ones, and they owe it. It's in your hands. You're the only generation that has the ability to leave the world somewhat better or a hell of a lot worse. And right now we're on the hell of a lot worse pathway, which is, you know, don't even worry about poor people in poor countries like Bangladesh, but your own children and grandchildren will face the consequences. So think about them. And that was Sally Hook. You're listening to a special WRI podcast series on what vulnerable countries want from COP26. Next, Molly Bergen spoke to Ineza Grace, who founded Green Fighter, a Rwandan NGO. She's also the co-founder of a global organization called the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition. We are in the red zone. The fear of reaching the point of no return is not a fantasy anymore. We are right in the middle of it. Yes, adaptation to climate change is important, 
but the adaptation alone has its limitation, reason for it to be supported by mitigation and addressing climate change impact, which is referred to as the loss and damage in the international climate system. So what's what's an example of what loss and damage could look like there, you know, whether it's happening already or something that could be happening in the near future? Loss and damage or climate change induced impact is uh, what we can say is a reality for us right now of the most vulnerable country, including Rwanda. Uh, for example, in Rwanda last year, uh, we have lost 270 Rwandans who died due to climate-induced disaster. This was in form of flooding, erosion, landslide, and we have more than 8,000 houses that were destroyed or damaged, and more than 4,000 hectares of crops were destroyed. Most of the affected community are women, children, and youth. When I was five years old, I remember like my house ceiling just being turn away because a uh, strong wind associated with intensive rainfall destroyed the house thinning and my bedroom become a little bit of a lake. So that experience shocked me, but I didn't realize that I was so shocked until when I finished my high school, I watched the news to find out that in the rural area, in my country, children are being displaced because there was erosion and flooding. And that kind of like recalled me of the panic I had and the feeling of being powerless uh, when, when facing this disaster. And then I took the decision to do what I can, when I can, what I can, especially to save my community. What concerns do vulnerable countries have overall regarding addressing loss and damages due to climate impacts, specifically within the UN negotiations? So in my view, the most concern of vulnerable country is the fact that the world leaders or global north country or they say decision makers are broken and refusing to address loss and damage with a sense of urgency as it should be. Vulnerable country did raise up the, the loss and damage way before because they highlighted it and it is fully captured in the Article 8 of the Paris Agreement. But Global North country have a very technical and strategic way to avoid themselves to be accountable of this issue. So the concern that if we do not act right now, if we don't listen to the voices of the vulnerable countries, there will be no future to go to. Because whether you are located in a Global North country or a Global South country, climate change impact has just no borders. The most fear is the fact that the loss and damage is being treated as a political issue, but it's a, it's a reality we are living in right now, and we just need tangible solution, tangible answers. What do you think needs to happen by the end of COP26 in order to take more action to address loss and damage? What I would hope to see happening would be the operationalization of the Santiago Network on loss and damage by fully incorporating the need and demand for vulnerable countries or let's say least developed country or African group countries because all their demand is kind of being in one word, have like a means to address loss and damage actively and immediately, which kind of link to the finance for loss and damage. And 
The other thing is that already developed countries are behind in their financial targets or promises in the Paris Agreement. So setting the trust that we are all ready to act in harmony and together where we honor the uh, statement, leave no one behind. In this statement, I will also use leave no item behind. What is at stake if leaders don't do this by COP26? Well, it will simply increase um, the climate injustice and inequality, but uh, now more than ever, the impact will be more tragic because more people are being vulnerable, more people are being exposed, and there's a, there's a need to protect what we can. If they do not act urgently, there'll be nothing to save. So there'll be no future for us if no tangible action is taken. And that was Ineza Grace. Finally, as we'll do in all of these Act 2025 podcasts, we're turning to Yami Danye, WRI's Director of Climate Negotiations. How does she see progress ahead of COP26? Northern damage is the area that saw the least progress on the ground, as there is no effective international mechanism to facilitate technical assistance or even financial support for developing countries to cope with losses, unavoidable losses and damage from climate disasters and impacts. You know, what we want the COP to do is to shift countries toward the proper implementation and action addressing losses and damage. This can be done by first establishing a permanent agenda to discuss this issue seriously, including provision to explore new and additional finances for this, separate from mitigation and adaptation, or in addition to the support provided to a mitigation and adaptation. And what's at stake for you on loss and damage? <sighs> Look, I come from an archipelago, a tiny archipelago in the Caribbean that is battered every year by storms and hurricanes. One of the small islands of this archipelago is a UNESCO biosphere heritage. And if you have the number of species, you know, that come to reproduce and in three to five years, actually, this island will be gone. My 12 years old I need to make sure that he's got time when we come back home to see this iconic place because in the rest of his lifetime, he's not going to be able to enjoy this. What is at stake is because of the greed, especially from most advanced countries, we are facing extreme climate and related disaster more often, more intense and with longer impact than we had before. And, and while we may still adapt to some of them, and reduce the impact, there are limits to such adaptive capacity. Those impacts will generate not only economic, infrastructural loss of livelihood, but also loss of lives. Non-economic losses like you know, losing lands and the cultural heritage. And for too long, developed countries treated this issue with fear and were only concerned about the liability and compensation implication of this issue. They thought that they could get away with this because these impacts for many years were many felt by the global south. And the recent events show that it's no longer the case. You know, climate does not discriminate who and where it will strike. However, those who contributed the least to the problem are affected the most and have less resources to recover. This is unjust. And this is why it's in everyone's interest to set up effective process and system to fund, to implement actions to tackle with those issues. And when you're in Glasgow, what will you be looking out for on this issue? 
I will be looking at developed countries' mindset and reaction. They need to show more compassion and also realize that it is in their interest to find solutions, to have a more solution-driven mind instead of just pushing this issue away. Loss and damage is there to stay. So I hope that there's going to be a change in the way they're going to approach this issue, to be more solution-driven and show more solidarity with their counterparts. It's together that we can really tackle this effectively. And that was Yami Danye ending this Act 2025 podcast series looking at the issue of loss and damage and what vulnerable countries want from the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. In this series, we'll also be looking at finance, rules, ambition and adaptation. And they're all available now, plus much more on COP26, what it means and why it's important on our website at wri.org slash act2025. I'm Nicholas Walton and I was joined on this podcast as ever by Molly Bergen, my colleague from WRI's climate team. Thanks for listening.